Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Village Church. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. Open up your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 48. Two weeks left. This week, next week, Genesis done. Now, don't applaud. <laughs> I mean, you might be like, yay, but uh, we are so close to the end, and so many themes here are culminating in these last two chapters. And in fact, uh, chapters 40 and 49, which is where we're going to land today, uh, actually address a subject that uh, consumes about four chapters of the book of Genesis. We have touched on it briefly, but today we're going to kind of do a deep dive into it, and so I'm going to hold you in suspense for just a couple moments. Genesis 48, uh, we're going to start, we're going to get some context in verses uh, 1 through 4. After this, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you, then Israel, that's also Jacob's name, same person, then Israel summoned his strength And he sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, father to his son, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and he blessed me. And he said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession Uh, And so Jacob, Joseph's father, is about to die. And what's on his mind at the time of his death are the promises of God. And let me just tell you, in your last moments when you barely have the strength to sit up, what do you need on your mind? You need to be thinking about the very certain promises that God gave to you. And if you have the joy and the privilege to have your children near you in that moment, what do you want so badly for your children? Uh, You want to take these promises that God has so graciously and faithfully given to you and upheld to you, and you want to give them to them in this moment, don't you? Don't you want to have this last moment of pleading, here is my hope for you, my prayer for you, and and this is exactly where Jacob is at. And what we're going to get the opportunity to do is we're going to eavesdrop on probably the most momentous and important moment of Jacob's life and probably maybe even Joseph's life up to this point. And so Jacob is preparing to give his son what the Old Testament calls the blessing. And as we said earlier, this this subject of a father's blessing to his son takes up four full chapters, and it actually, the the theme of it really consumes half of the book of Genesis, the last half of the book. Um, And this is a subject matter that's that's honestly just kind of glossed over. We mention it, um, but it, it becomes a dynamic component and character in the book of Genesis. And so what happens in Genesis 48 and 49, this is Jacob giving a father's blessing Um, to his sons. And of course, Joseph is going to get the best one. And so, uh, in fact, the book of Hebrews, as it looks back on all the Old Testament saints, and it draws out what's called the hall of faith, the greatest moments or some of the greatest moments of faithfulness in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Um, Jacob is mentioned once, and it is this moment that is considered one of his greatest acts of faith. 
an act where he is trusting God and he is going to declare some really beautiful and some incredibly difficult things over his children. Now, for many of you, if you're newer to church, um, the subject of the Old Testament blessing might be a new concept for you. So one of the things I want to do is help you understand it. Um, What we're going to do today is we're going to be focusing on the Old Testament concept, and then we're going to weave application in for New Testament parents and disciple makers. So we're going to really dig deep into what the Old Testament blessing was, but there are some really, really practical, tangible things for anybody in this room who disciples, which if you profess Christ, should be almost all of you, or if you have a son or a daughter or a grandson or a granddaughter, or if there are people in your neighborhood that you've kind of adopted and they call you aunt or uncle or mom or dad or something of the sorts, if you, if you have a relationship of authority and respect with somebody younger than you in the faith or younger than you in age, this is, I think, going to be a really pivotal uh, chapter for you guys to really consider. Um, blessings were so important in the Old Testament that they were marked by a feast They were public, and they were documented. Hence, we can actually read about them in detail, the very things that Jacob and other patriarchs and fathers in the Old Testament would say to their kids. These were so important that they were actually documented so that the kids and their grandkids for generations to come could take these moments and remember them. Now, the Old Testament blessing, it converges three ingredients uh, the first, ingredients is, first ingredient is um, my spiritual story or the patriarch's spiritual story or the person giving the blessing uh, references their story. Uh, typically what they would do is they would reference God's faithfulness to them. They would, they would reference really meaningful, significant landmark moments in their life. Uh, they would often uh, refer to these times uh, where God really came through for them, the way God kept his word and his promises and so it's interesting with the blessing was often a rearticulation of your personal relationship with God as their father. Number two was always a component uh, that had to do with God's truth and God's promises, God's word, the things that God spoke over these people, things that you could take to the bank, things that were reliable, things that were accurate. And, um, and, and that's one of the most beautiful parts here. Number three is it had a vision for their life based on their current life and their current behavior Uh, the father would look at the son and he would say, based on what you're doing with your life, here are some very probable things that would happen. And sometimes these uh, visions even became prophetic. Now, each of these, there's a question on here that I want to draw your attention to. Uh, When you talk about your personal relationship with God, how can I wield my successes and my failures to uniquely inspire? And some of these are actually leading questions for you just to think about. Like, I, I don't even know how to tell my story to my son or my daughter or to the person I disciple. Well, think, think for a moment. Go back to these monumentous moments. Think about these moments where you were incredibly successful and you did something really well, or even you failed miserably. What we find is that the parent and the disciple maker is not afraid to deal with their failures and weaknesses. Talk about God's promises and truth. What, God's, what promises and commands of God are uniquely relevant given their gifting, their temperament, their behavior, and their impulses. Have you ever noticed that like different passages of scripture, right? Your kids need different ones sometimes. You get one kid who's super impulsive, another who's a super afraid, one who's really contemplative, one who's an extrovert, one who's an introvert, one who's really skeptical, one who believes everything you say. And, and sometimes God, God, God has a different word for each one of your kids and a different in light of their temperament. My mom had um, a, a psalm for each one of her boys. 
she chose it um, when she was younger, when we were all young, and, and she would pray that psalm over us. In fact, I was home just a couple months ago, and my mom pulled out the psalm, and she just read it, and then she prayed for me right there on the spot because of some stuff I was working through. And she comes back regularly to this psalm, and she said, this is my psalm for you. And she, when she prays for me, this psalm regularly comes up. Now, she didn't just open up the Bible and be like, right? Um, she knew me. I'm her son. She knew my temperament, and she was learning God's word. And as she read this, the Lord impressed that psalm upon her heart for me. It wasn't willy-nilly, but it was something where God, uh, she heard in a sermon about a pastor doing this. And so she said, I'm going to do this for my kids. And she took the time to prayerfully consider it. And so uh, it's an easy way to think about God's promises and God's truth over your child. Number three, the question for vision for their life. If they continue down their current trajectory, what are they capable of? This can go in two directions, can it not? And we're going to watch Jacob as he blesses his kids. Some of them are going to get what feels like almost, almost a curse. We see in the book of Genesis, actually, that every kid wants a blessing. Uh, if you remember, Jacob stole whose blessing? Esau. And then Esau comes to his father Isaac and says, do you have a blessing left for me? Please tell me there's something left for me. Oh, please bless me too. Like there's this interesting desperation in the children in Genesis for a blessing from their father. Not just because with it came maybe uh, a land or property or something or promises of a, gr- of a great future, but at the end of the day, every single kid wants to hear from their dad or their spiritual leader blessing. They want to hear God's word spoken over them. They want to hear almost prophetic words about if you continue down this path, this is what's going to happen. Here's what God can do through you. Dad, what am, what am I capable of? What do you see in me? Son, here's what I see in you. These are heart cries that I've never met a kid who has that kind of vocabulary to communicate from his spiritual leader or his father or to his mother, here are the things that I need from you. But every kid has a desperate need for blessing. They need to hear your story. They need to not just hear that you pray for them, but hear you speak and pray God's promises and God's word over them audibly. That's what they need. They don't just need that, but they also need you to tell them, here's what I see in you. This is who God has made you to be and designed you to be. Go this direction, and if you keep going this direction, this is going to bear incredible fruit for you. But you're going down this path, and if you walk down this path, it's going to be trouble. Sometimes to bless, you need to profoundly warn and put a curse before them to say, if you go down this path... This is what's going to happen. I don't mean some magical curse. I mean, if you go down this path, you're going to be far from God and you won't be under his blessing. This is, run from this. And Jacob is not hesitant to look at each of his children and say really meaningful and also really intentional things. I'm going to help you understand the power of of a blessing uh, by giving you a modern day illustration. So here's the scenario. Um, There's a 30-year-old man And in scenario one and scenario two, it's the same guy, but in scenario one, he's going to receive a $20 million inheritance. And here's all you know in scenario one. This 30-year-old man, he's married, he has kids, he receives a 20-year-old inheritance from a long-lost family member that he has never met with no note attached. Now, you don't know this guy at all? But you can guess that he's probably going to spend the money on whom? Himself. Which, let's be honest, if somebody gave you $20 million, what would be your impulse? 
I could pay off my house. I could get the new car I wanted. You know, I mean, you think initially, first and foremost, about yourself. I'm not saying you're evil or bad, but we're all wicked sinners who've fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? Good. Scenario two, same 30-year-old man married with kids receives a $20 million inheritance from his beloved dad. With it comes a letter. And here's what the letter says. My beloved son, you are aware that God has entrusted me with great responsibility. He's been faithful to give me wisdom and a purpose for the resources he has given me. I've never lacked the ability to be generous when I've used God's money to build Jesus' kingdom. Son, you have been trained in God's word, and you know that there is no investment with greater dividends than God's kingdom. I'm leaving you this money to bless you and to build God's kingdom. Care for your family, yes. Pay off your house, yes. But now, you have the ability to carry on our family's name and legacy, a name that exists to bring God glory and point people to Jesus. Ensure you are generous to your church, the hope of the world. Ensure you support endeavors that are fruitful in pointing people to Jesus. Bring your children to impoverished places so they might grow in gratitude for all they have. And steward this money so that you may do for your children what I have done for you here. Build the next generation of other-centered, local church-loving, kingdom-building children through your family and those you disciple. May you be as proud of your children as I am of you. May your confidence in your children be as strong as mine is in you, because I know your heart, I am confident you will glorify God with this money. May God bless you as you build his kingdom, love dad. What's going to be more impactful? Aren't you a little jealous of that kid? Is there something inside of you that is like, that's what I want to do? I'm telling you that most Christian moms and dads act like the first scenario. You live your life, you do your thing, you die, and you hope it all works out. But I'm telling you, there is profound power and intentionality. There is something profound that we are seeing in this practice of the Old Testament blessing. There there is something that itches in every single child's heart to hear something. And you know what? Who cares about the money, right? The money is a means to make you pay attention. What every single kid wants is this vision from their father, from their mother, from their spiritual leader. Never underestimate the power of a parent intentionally blessing a child. Let's get back to Jacob. Blessings are a tender spot for this man, aren't they? If you go back to when his father Isaac blessed him, Jacob did some pretty deceitful, terrible things, didn't he? His father blessed the wrong kid. Apparently, Isaac was too drunk to really even be able to figure out what was real and what was not, and who got him drunk but Jacob. Why? So that he could get the blessing that was rightly supposed to be his brother's, stole it. Because he did this with the blessing, he had to run for his life because his brother wanted to kill him for 20 years. He was estranged from his family. The blessing is actually a really tender thing for him. And this is one of those rare moments, by the way, when a son gets to make right not just his father's errors, but his own personal errors. Uh, so Jacob's at the end of his life. This is a big deal. The New Testament wants you to know it's a big deal. It's a big deal to everyone around him. This is important. Look at 48 verse 9. Joseph said to his father, they are my sons. Joseph wanted to know who these kids were. 
whom God has given to me here, and he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel, Jacob, were dim with age that he could not see, so Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them, and he embraced them. Don't you love that whatever blessing is about to happen, it just comes with such affection and love? Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knee, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. Joseph knows the weight of this moment. So in American culture, there is something weird and strange about a father's seeming inability to be emotional, vulnerable, and transparent with a son or daughter. You guys notice this? And there's something in the son culture that we live in, meaning the SON culture, the culture of a child to its father. When the father gets too vulnerable or transparent, the son turns his heart away and is like, dad, that's weird. Not so in Jewish culture. The father's leaned into authenticity, transparency, and vulnerability, especially in these momentous moments. And the sons lean into the word. They leaned into the very things that the father was saying. There wasn't this weird dynamic that existed. It was normal for a father to be tender and emotional with the son and for the son to receive it. Notice Joseph's receptive posture. Now jump to verse 15 because Jacob is going to begin to bless Joseph and he's going to begin by telling his personal story, his spiritual story. He blessed Joseph and he said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. The angel, this is the angel of the Lord Jesus, go way back in Genesis, Jesus shows up. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil. I I just want to, I want to go dig deeper here. I think this is so important for you to become so familiar with your story with God's faithfulness to you, that you are ready to tell that story to your children. Um, I'm realizing as my kids, they're just, they're, they're not old, they're, they're young, but like, I'm just realizing how much they are interested in my stories. And what's interesting is I find myself wanting to tell stories of my stupidity as a young person, because I think it's hilarious. And don't get me wrong, they love hearing those stories, but I'm having to remind myself that my kids actually need to hear my God moments. When God broke into my life, when God woke me up, when God convicted me of sin, uh, when I saw God do incredible things, like those are the kind of stories more and more that I'm realizing my kids need to hear and they need to hear it with intentionality. They need to hear it sometimes over and over and over again so that my story can be ingrained into their life because the spiritual climate that they're growing up in, this is the byproduct of all the things that God has done in my life and my wife's life and this church's life. And they need to hear that. They didn't just all of a sudden one day land here, but there are people that have gone before them and have had God experiences and we need to hand these things to them and say, this is what God did for me. Now you go own it. Let's watch God do this for you. It goes on, it says, bless the boys and in them let my name be carried on. And the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. What he's doing here is he's praying over these young boys, saying, God, may the promises that you gave to me be fulfilled in them. Now, do you think if you're the sons, that there's a difference between hearing A, oh, your grandfather prays for you, 
or B, having your grandfather lay hands on your shoulder and pray these specific things over you in a way you can hear and remember, and then documenting it so that you always have it with you. Which is more meaningful, A or B? B, for sure. What's our tendency? A. So I think this is encouragement to owning your authority and your influence, leaning into it. As I love to say, awkward is awesome. And yes, in this culture, it is awkward when a spiritual authority with intentionality blesses someone. Who cares? Some of the greatest things in the world are some of the most awkward moments, are they not? Awkward is awesome. Lean into it. We are a peculiar, weird, strange people. So let's start doing peculiar, weird, strange things, especially when they're actually the very things we wanted somebody to do with us in the first place. In verse um, 17, 18, and 19, we actually learn two interesting parts of, of a blessing. So also in American culture, there's this principle of equity and equality that everybody has to get the same always, which I just reject thoroughly because honestly, life isn't equal or fair and nor do parents have to be equal and fair. Now, don't get me wrong. Like when my kids sit down to eat, I, bo- I give them all basically the same portion of food, right? Like I don't withhold, but is life fair? No. And do, your, do all your kids deserve the same amount of freedom? <laughs> no way. Do they, do they reserve, deserve the same amount of responsibility? No. Look, look what happens. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Let me, let me actually just tell you, because we've got two chapters to cover, so I'm, I'm skipping a bit here and there. Um, you should go read all these chapters. Um, Jacob says, give me your sons. Bring them here. Joseph brings his two boys, Ephraim and Manasseh, to their grandfather. And here's what Jacob does. He adopts them. He says, they're no longer yours, they're mine. They're going to be my kids. That's why Ephraim and Manasseh, Jacob's grandkids, are part of the 12 tribes, by the way. That's why. Joseph doesn't get one because Joseph was broken into two. And at that point, you should be thinking, but there's 12 kids plus two. Joseph doesn't get one. That's 13. If you're doing math like I am, Levi didn't get a tribe for what it's worth. Now you know, for those of you who are interested and you weren't going to listen to anything I said for the rest of the morning... The 12 tribes are everybody but Joseph and Levi add to Ephraim and Manasseh. There we go. So he takes them and he adopts them. And then he blesses these boys and he speaks hope over them. He speaks God's promises over them. He tells them his story. He wants them to hear this. And in this culture, here's what would happen. The oldest kid would get the best blessing. That was normal. Does God care about your cultural rules? Not a whole lot. Okay, Joseph is like, but that's not the way it should go. Actually, technically, you know, and, and Jacob's like, listen, if there's one thing I've seen, it's like God doesn't really care about all these cultural rules. I get that in the ancient Near East, this is what you're supposed to do, blah, blah, blah. but maybe God's up to something different. So here's what happens. Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim and it displeased him. You can't give the blessing to the younger one. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Dad, you don't know what you're doing. You're old, you're blind, you're senile. Listen to me, I know better. And Joseph said to his father, not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son. I know. He also should become a people. Don't worry about it. He's going to be great. He'll be fine. Nevertheless, his younger brother 
shall be greater than he. And his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. What's interesting is that this was the story of Jacob and Esau, twin brothers. The younger was greater. And in the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons, if you will, was Joseph on the older spectrum or the younger? The younger. He's the second youngest. And here's what Jacob knows. I'm not going to give the blessing to your oldest brother. He's a scoundrel. Are you kidding me? You're getting the blessing. I'm breaking the rules everywhere. And here's what you see. Equality is not the point of the blessing. Jacob is not concerned with equality. He is concerned about each and every individual child's soul and future. And he's not going to say one thing because he's afraid it's going to hurt all the other kids' feelings or not say it. He's going to do what needs to be done. And here's what's interesting. These are all public and documented. When you start to see some of the, quote, blessings that he gives to his children, you're going to be shocked. Number two, sometimes God's vision for our children, it just doesn't make everybody happy, does it? Sometimes it doesn't even make the kid happy. Sometimes I look at my children and I'm like, like listen, this, this is what God, God has made you for. And I've had my daughter say to me more than one time, I don't like that. And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> and neither does God because that's who you are. You can't run from it. You can lean into it. This is how he made you. It's how he designed you. It's beautiful. It's good. Go that way. Go this way. Everything you touch turns beautiful. Go that way. Be that person. I want to be this. I didn't make you to be them. And it's my job to give them that clarity throughout their life as they get older, as these things become more and more clear, as I watch God work in them and fruit born through them to give them this direction and clarity. Sometimes even the kids don't like it, and that's not the point, is it? And honestly, like, if you're really worried about all your kids liking you and being fair as you're dying your last breaths, like, let's get some perspective. Let's look at verse 49, or chapter 49. We're going to watch this play out and this is the moment that Joseph, uh, Jacob and Joseph and all the sons are never, ever going to forget. He's already told them of God's faithfulness. Now he's going to get right down to um, the, uh, we'll just say, the, the vision for their future. And it is bleak for many of them. Then Jacob called his sons, 49 verse 1, and he said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Now, why do you think that Jacob is so arrogant to think that he could tell his kids the course of their life and how their life is going to go? Let me give you like a couple of reasons. They're all pretty old. Like Jacob is 140 some years old or something. All the kids are adults. He's watched a century of their trajectory in their life. And let's just put this out there. Are these like the greatest kids on the planet? They're pretty terrible. Like, they're just somewhat like, I'm sorry, but if you raise kids like this, like 12 of them, okay? Like, I don't know, something's going on in your home that I'm not excited about, okay? I'm not going to look at all of them. I want to pull out three examples. That's all I want to do, three examples. And uh, in your community groups or your time alone, just spend some time reading through these. And I just want you to notice again and again that Jacob is not concerned with equality, He is not concerned with how they're going to respond to this. And he is not afraid to say the hard thing because sometimes that's the most loving thing that you can do is to tell them the hard thing. Let's look at Reuben, verse 3. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, 
the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. You were the strongest, you're the most regal, you are the most respected. And at this moment, you, you probably might guess that he believes he is owed the greatest blessing of all the brothers. Remember, the oldest would get the first and the best of the blessing, the biggest one, the most meaningful one with the most good stuff attached to it. But if you go back in the book of Genesis, Reuben did something pretty ugly and terrible. And it's interesting because apparently this moment has never been made right. And in this moment, Jacob calls it on the table publicly in case there was any confusion about it. And he calls out his future based on his despicable behavior, his lack of repentance, and this repeated lifestyle that he has refused to change so far. He says, unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence. You will not get the birthright nor the blessing. You'll get a blessing, but in Jewish culture, there was always a dominant blessing. And that went often typically to the firstborn. You shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it, and he went up to my couch. He slept with his father's wife. Now, granted, it wasn't his biological mother. Word to the wise, that might be a deal breaker in the relationship. And if you want your dad to leave you the vast majority of his inheritance and have a deep, profound relationship with him, not a good move. Reuben did not use his God-given gifts and strength and dignity for good, but he used it for self-indulgence and vengeance, and this has been the pattern of his life. These are Jacob's last moments, and he looks at his son and just says, I don't have to be a prophet to tell you your future. Your future is predetermined for you because you've sowed violence and ugliness everywhere you've gone, and you don't seem to have much remorse over it. I wonder at times if uh, Jacob sees himself in these kids because Jacob wasn't exactly a great man, was he? And yet God intervened in Jacob's life, didn't he? But here's, here's the reality. These kids already know the promises of God. They already know the calling to morality and integrity. They already know all the things they're supposed to be. They have everything they need. They have God's promises. They have God's word. They have their father's testimony and story. They've got all of it. And this is one of those moments where he just says, I can't trust you with what you want right now because you've proven yourself to be unfaithful regularly. Example number two is Simeon. Here's a question for you, moms and dads. What do you do when your sons are unrepentant murderers? Let me rephrase that. What do you do when your sons are unrepentant mass murderers? Do you say, I'm gonna give you the best of me. I'm going to give you a blessing. Your life is going to be incredible, right? No. Look what it says. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let not my soul come into their counsel. Oh, my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hung hamstrung oxen. I mean, these, these guys are just cruel to animals. Why? Because they can be. They kill people, why? You made me anger, angry, dead. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. Notice he didn't curse them, he cursed their anger. And their wrath, for it is cruel, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Now here's the kids, right? They want the blessing. This is what they want. They want their father's approval. But sometimes the dad has to look at his son and say, I cannot approve of what this is. I love you. God is faithful. God can change you. God can do anything 
But this is a really pivotal moment where they want money and blessing and all this stuff. And, and Jacob's like, no, we're not, we're not doing that. And there are, there are shorter blessings and longer blessings. And, and what you find with every one of the blessings is this. The kids knew what this was all about. They knew the references he was making. They knew the stories he was bringing up. And here's what you find. You got this man who raised a bunch of kids. Some of them turned out to be all right. But for the most part, like this had to have been one of the hardest moments for this man. Now, I want to be clear uh, in... in, in Nowadays, Christian circles, um, most parents are thinking in terms of Christian and non-Christian. That's not what's happening here. This isn't believing and unbelieving. This is all of the sons have a baseline of truth and reality of who God is. And in spite of their knowledge of who God is, they say, I don't want to do what you want me to do. I'll go do my way anyways. This isn't a matter of technical belief and unbelief. It is a matter of submission to God or belligerence to who they know God to be. It's a very different category that we're thinking. Let's look at Joseph. How do you bless an imperfect yet faithful son? Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a, by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him. This is public. Who are the archers, by the way? The brothers. Like, Jacob is having no part in this. Because remember, Jacob, Jacob before he moved to Egypt, uh, found out, like, Whoa, you guys lied to me for like years and years and years and years and years. My son was alive and in jail. You let him rot while I grieved. Are you kidding me? The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely, yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your Father, who will help you by the Almighty, who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, the blessings of your Father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents. Up to the bounties of the everlasting hills, may they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who is set apart from his brothers. Now, my two cents, just for what it's worth. No need to like rub salt in the wound, right? <laughs> At times you, you read these things and you're like, wow, Jacob, like even in your blessing, you're jabbing at the kids. And this is why I am grateful that there is no New Testament commandment to bless kids exactly like they did in the Old Testament. This is an ancient Near Eastern practice that was really meaningful that God supported and, and, and God blessed. Uh, but here's what we find. There isn't like a New Testament script for how this looks. But the impulses and the needs of every single child and every single person being mentored and discipled have not changed, have they? That there's something profound about this. That spiritual leaders, you even get to Jesus in the New Testament and and little kids are brought before them and he's blessing them. There's something profound about spiritual leaders and moms and dads speaking God's truth, telling the, the good news of the faithfulness of God. And this is what so much of the Psalms are about, declaring God's faithfulness so that the next generation can read these stories. Speaking God's truth, his promises over the people of God so they can be reiterated. And so this is part of our job as spiritual leaders. We tell the stories of God's faithfulness. We tell the promises of God. We speak them over our children, over the people of God. And we don't just do this at the moment of our death. We do this as a regular rhythm in our life. I want to give you a couple so what's as we close. 
Number one, experienced disciple makers understand the power of blessing. The vast majority of believers are not experienced disciple makers, but here's what I want to say. Start with your family and become an experienced disciple maker there. And this is what I want to just get through to you. If you're going to be an effective disciple maker, you will tell your story, your spiritual journey. You will begin to document God's faithfulness to you, his interventions in your life, how he showed up for you, the miracles in your life, and you're going to tell and retell these stories to your kids over and over again. You were going to pray over your children and those you disciple about what passages of scripture, whether it's a psalm or a story or a New Testament uh, epistle or a proverb, and you just, you, you pray that God in light of who he has made them to be would show you scripture. Honestly, sometimes it might take a year for you to find a scripture that is going to be something that you pray over your kid for a long time. Maybe there's different ones in different seasons. Don't be afraid to say, I found this scripture for you and I'm praying it over you. Son, daughter, can we just take a moment? I want to read this over you and pray for you right now. Is it awkward? Everybody say yes. Yes. Who cares? Awkward is awesome. It's what we do. We look at their life and their trajectory. It's interesting because when Jacob blessed Joseph's sons, Jacob's grandsons, he didn't really have too much of a prophetic word over their future. He actually just prayed that they would own and receive and perpetuate the promises. But as the kids get older, right, his words about their future got more and more clear, right? And so I'm I'm pretty reticent to give my kids too much vision. I've got a word for each of them that I pray over them and I talk to them about, but it hasn't really gotten much more specific than that. But I have promises that I pray over them. I have things that I want them to know. I have different ones for each of my kids. One kid is impulsive. One kid is, is just concerned and deeply fearful on a very profound level. Another kid is, is, is insecure. Like they all got these interesting, unique like sins that I want to just I want God's word to be over them and to speak truth into them. And so each of them are different. Gosh, imagine having 12 kids and 12 visions for your kids. It's exhausting. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, number two, uh, bless your children both weekly and momentously. Here's what I mean. Make praying over and speaking God's word to your kids a rhythm in your life. And find multiple moments from childhood to the point where they leave your home and beyond where you prepare blessings for them. We, we know some obvious ones, graduation, marriage, first kids, etc. cetera. Um, but younger kids need to hear this as well regularly. So what for us are just like normal things, for them actually might be really huge milestones. When a kid goes to junior high, that's like a momentous moment in their life. That's an opportunity for intentional, momentous, documented, something where you say, we're going to go out to eat and we want to talk to you. And and food always makes something more special, doesn't it? I love food. It's a problem. So every time there's a feast, I'm like, I'll do it. All right, good. But these are moments where you just say, you know, we're, we're not just going to redeem the weekly rhythms and the times when we go to bed and we pray at night. We're not just going to redeem those moments, but we're going to actually, we're going to think about the regular rhythms and seasons of life, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna intentionally bring our story. I remember vividly what it feels like to go back into junior high. I remember vividly what I needed to hear, and my kids need to hear that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell my story because of what they're going through, I went through too. And then I'm going to redeem these big moments. Finally, number three, remember the end game. 
So in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament blessing world, there are three really, really big things that you wanted your kids to be pursuing. Number one is land, because that's where God dwells. Number two is this lineage where you take the promises and they give it to your kids and your grandkids and them after. And then there's this concept of legacy, like your name, represent my name really well. These are just really, really big, big themes. And in the New Testament, what has happened is, is that I think Jesus is up to something a little bit broader and bigger. He's not just building a nation anymore. What's he doing? He's building a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And it's not just a country that he's building, but he's given us a better country. It's not just this legacy to build our name, but he's given us this opportunity to build the glory of God. And so I want to share with you just three end games, not to forget when you pray for your kids, have this vision for them in your mind. Number one, of a better land. Here, here's what Hebrews eleven sixteen says. As it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Talking about those people in Hebrews 11 who are the hall of faith, if you will. Like what led them to do such awkward and awesome and risky things? They had a better country in mind. They had heaven in mind. They had a bigger picture in mind. And so even when I think about vision for my kids, it's play the long game. Don't just play the game that gets you successful in life. Play the game that gets you successful in heaven. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. How you pray over them, you hold this world loosely, and you hold that world tightly. There's a better country, a better land. Number two is a better family. Ephesians 1, 5, and 6 says, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, in which he has blessed us in the beloved. Son, you're not just a part of this family, and it's not the family of the fuelings that is the most important name in your life anymore. You're part of God's family, and you carry his name. We're pointing them to bigger things and not just temporal things. It is not about this world primarily. It's about that world. And don't get me wrong, this family is really important, but this family exists to build that family. Number three, a better inheritance. First Peter 3 and 4, one, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable. Who cares if you get $20 million and you go to hell? What we are trying to leave our children is something much, much infinitely more meaningful and permanent. It's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. As parents and disciple makers, we call those that we lead to something better. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of good things in this world, isn't there? But there are better things. Don't get me wrong. The family is an amazing thing. But there, there is a more eternal family. Don't get me wrong, the inheritance that your mom and dad can leave can be amazing and life-changing, but there's a better inheritance. Our kids are going to be prone to be obsessed with the temporal, and then as we get a vision for them, our vision has to catapult them into the eternal. And in case you're wondering, is it too late? Well, Jacob waited to the end of his life to do this. We live in a different time, right? Now we need to push this back, and we need to do this sooner and quicker, But it wasn't too late. And let me tell you, the words of a mom and dad never grow less powerful. They never grow less powerful. The words of a grandma and grandpa, I'm telling you, they pierce the soul when they're used and wielded with intentionality. 
the words of a mentor whom you respect are more powerful than you can imagine. Um, We're going to come to this communion table now, and we come to the communion table with eternal things in mind. Purchased for us by Jesus himself. Acquired only and ever by faith. And this is what we hand to our children and to those we disciple, and we say, there are better things, and they are only acquired through Jesus by faith. That is it. So what I want to ask you to do as we prepare to take communion, and we're going to have a time of silence, and uh, what I want to ask you to do is just go back in your brain, and I want you to remember. Um, I want you to start with maybe even the time when you came to Christ, or that season you came to Christ, and maybe just mark some milestones. What are some ways that God came through for you? What are some ways that he really surprised you? What are some ways that he entered into some of your trial and some of your desperation, and he brought hope and relief and faith? I want you to think about some of that, and even as we reflect, just process on how good God has been to you. Think about these momentous times in your life where you and God had an interaction. And as you think about those, here's my simple prayer that God would grow in you gratitude. But then you would take these stories and you would use these as the mile markers for your story and start telling people the things that God has done in your life. And you're going to go out to lunch today. And you're going to have a conversation with your family or your kids, or maybe it'll be at your house. Pick one of them. And just say, can I tell you the story of something God did in my life? But before you do that, let's stop before the Lord and just say, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you have done for me. And it started with Jesus. So if you're new with us to Village Church, we're going to have a time of silence. And and if you are visiting with us, partake of communion if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your God and Savior. Let's have a time of silence, and if you would hold the cups to the end, we're going to partake together after we sing and worship.